Content warning. This episode contains scenes of extreme violence. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is Episode 8. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. For any fathers out there, I hope you had a great Father's Day this past Sunday. I did see a few social media posts from friends and family who did, which was great to see. I have to admit, given my current situation, it's easy to lose track of time, and it feels like you blink, and suddenly another month has passed. However, I'm doing my best to stay positive and keep looking for work. Today, I have Chapter 7 of Outcast on deck for you. As always, if you're listening to this on the original Outcast feed, I encourage you to subscribe to this new show at feeds.feedrunner.com slash kickinthecast. And with that said, let's get to Chapter 7 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 7 I heard the whimpering first, and then a collective gasp of horror as others finally saw them. It took a few moments, but I finally recognized them. All three of them were servals, members of the Temeki family, who was on good terms with the Calamars. I didn't know their names, but I'd seen them at various clan functions. I think the oldest one was friends with Makio. What were they doing here? And why were they in the custody of the Shatlia? I really didn't want to know, but I was going to find out soon. People rose as the Shatlia approached, not in defiance, but in deference. I watched dumbstruck as they all rose and bowed their heads, averting their eyes from the advancing clansmen. I did so as well to blend in, but then returned to gazing at them after they passed. They finally stopped in an area between the dining tables and the sleeping area, a place where some had gathered just to sit and talk. They'd wisely all gotten up and moved away. By this time, everyone had stopped averting their eyes and now regarded the Shatlia as they formed a loose circle around the cubs, hand on their swords in case someone found themselves inspired to act. So, the lead Shatlia said, this is where all the garbage winds up. The others in the group all chuckled slightly. Byrek? My former friend turned and handed the rope to the Rondoki before returning to the defensive circle. I watched his muzzle intently. Some of the others wore smug expressions, and one even had the look that dared anyone to challenge him. Of all the gathered Shatlia there, he looked to be the smallest. I suspected that he was hoping someone would step up just so he could prove his worth to the others. Byrek, however, wore a different expression, one of stoicism. He didn't want to be here. He didn't want to be doing this. I got the feeling that they weren't here on orders from the council, or if they were, then they were coming awfully close to overstepping their authority. By order of the Clan High Council, the panther said loudly to all of us. 
You have all been exiled, and as such been forbidden to ever set foot upon clan lands again under pain of death. He waved his hand towards the three cubs. Yet these three dared to set foot on their former clan's grounds after being ordered to never return. I felt my hands clench into fists and my claw muscles begin to react. Of course, they were still nothing but nubs at the time, but anyone watching me would have known the amount of rage that was building inside me. My lack of any kind of weapon wasn't stopping my growing desire to gut that motherless pakla where he stood. Now, he continued, you have all been given a fair bit of mercy as of late. By right, we could cut you all down this very night and no one would mourn your passing. No one on this planet gives a damn about you. The crowd grumbled, and I noticed the ring of Shatlia, Byrick included, begin to tense up. It is only out of faith that some of you might be salvageable that we don't do just that. He then turned to the cubs. You three were caught trespassing on clan lands, he said, his voice suddenly becoming gentle. Why? We just want to go home, the oldest serval sniffled. Gods. She was no cub. She was a kitten. And the others were younger than her. The youngest one, a male, looked like he just wet himself, judging from the look of humiliation on his face and the chuckles of the leader. We were sorry we stayed out late, and... and... You were exiled because you disobeyed your parents? the panther asked. Because you stayed out past your bedtime? We tried to get home, but... You tried, he said, patting the serval on the head. You tried and failed. And you just wanted to go home now, is that it? The serval nodded fearfully, and I felt my stomach lurch. The panther's voice was too sweet. It was too filled with seductive venom. This was not going to end well. Selan, Rolf. Two of the Shatlias stepped up behind the servals and waited. First you disobey your parents, said the panther loudly. And then you defy clan law by trying to return. And all you can say is you're sorry? He delivered a backhand slap to the girl, knocking her to the floor, which made her cry out in pain. Gasps of horror arose from the crowd of exiles, yet no one moved. I looked around at those closest to me, and I could see the restraint in their eyes. They wanted to do something, but were too afraid to do anything. Hold them, shouted the panther. The other two shot Leah quickly grabbed the three kittens and forced them to their knees before the panther. I could hear more gasps and more moans of protest, but no one did anything. My body began shaking as the panther stood away from the whimpering kittens and faced us all again. Let tonight be a lesson to all of you, he said with a smirk. Let it remind you of your place and of the consequences of crossing us. Time slowed. It seemed to take forever for the Rondoki to draw that small blade. I was in motion the moment he pulled the oldest girl's head back, exposing her neck to him, or more importantly, to his knife. No! I yelled. I pushed my way through the crowd only for Byrick to stop me. His eyes widened after a moment when he recognized me. At that moment, I didn't care. He wore the uniform of the enemy, and that was all that mattered. I moved to get around him, but he caught my arm and managed to hold me there. I tried to break the hold, and that was when I learned that no matter how strong you are, 
There are some holds you just can't break. You can't do this, I yelled in protest. The Rondoki turned slowly toward me. On reflex, I tried to free myself from Byrick, but I couldn't. He held me in place as his leader approached, his knife still at the ready. And what is this? he asked in a sickly sweet tone. One of the fallen still has a voice, hmm? He ran his blade down the side of my muzzle, thankfully not cutting it. Any idea who this is, Byrick? No, sir, my former friend replied. Just some trash who tried to get through. The Black Panther gazed at me, his eyes giving me an appraising once-over. Shall I dispose of him? No, the Panther replied, returning to the trembling servals. He's the only one to show any courage in this entire God's forsaken crowd. He smiled as he grabbed the eldest serval again. Let him watch. I was powerless held in place by someone I once considered my friend. The brother of someone I was destined to marry held me in place and forced me to watch the murder about to happen. All that while, the panther smiled at me, reveling in my horror as he slit the first throat. I can't do this, he mocked, slitting the second. I am Shatlia, trash. I am the will of the clans. I can do whatever I please. He slit the third. All three servals let out wet gurgling sounds as they tried to scream. They shook violently, their bodies and minds unable to grasp that their lives were ending. They would have fallen were it not for the Chatelier keeping them on their knees all this time. I wanted to turn away from what I was seeing, but Byrek's hold kept me in place. I wanted to shut my eyes, but I couldn't. My mind was as numb as my body at that moment. All I could do was watch in horror as three terrified kittens, far too young to fully grasp what had happened to them, bled out. It felt surreal, as though I should be watching this on the telescreen. Things like this don't happen in real life. Only in fiction are bad screenplays. My mind kept trying to make excuses for what my eyes were telling me, but nothing was working. I just witnessed a murder. A vile, twisted, sadistic murder. The lead Chatelier, satisfied with his work, turned and walked toward me. He brandished the bloody knife in front of me, making sure I could see the crimson staining it. I could end your life right now. Let your last thought be that you could do nothing for them. He nodded toward the servals, whom his comrades still held in place as the blood drained from them. Then do it! I half-pleaded. Go on, Pakla! Do it! End me! With each word, I could feel myself caring less and less about my own life. I strained again against Byrick's hold, but to no avail. Instead of plunging the knife into my stomach or neck, the Rondoki simply wiped it on the side of my muzzle. Hmm, I think not, he said wistfully. I'm going to let you live for now, Trash. Yes. You can live and remember this night for the rest of your days. He sheathed the now clean knife. We're done here, he declared to the others. Those holding the now dead servals released them. The sound they made when they hit the floor nearly made me throw up the stew I'd eaten earlier. 
Just one last thing, the panther said. The blow came hard and fast, snapping my muzzle to the side so quickly it took my mind a full second to realize what had happened. My vision grew spotty and my ears began ringing as my consciousness slipped away from me. My body slumped, held up only by Byrick's grip, but that also soon relaxed. I crumpled to the floor, but not before I heard my former friend's voice. The last thing I heard before the darkness consumed me. I'm sorry, my friend. When my eyes next opened, I found myself on my back, lying on one of the cots in the sleeping area. How did I get here? The last thing I remembered was taking a punch from that Shadlia before he... I sat up quickly and instantly regretted it. My head, particularly my muzzle, exploded in pain. I must have made a sound because moments later Cyrus was beside me, trying to support me as I felt myself beginning to waver. Easy, kid, he said. You took quite a shot there. Thought we lost you too for a moment. Two? Based on Cyrus's tone of voice, I thought for a moment that by a miracle one or more of the kittens survived. However, the look on the old cougar's face said it all. I turned my gaze toward where the execution took place and felt my heart ache. No, I choked. Oh, God, no. I'm sorry, kid. They were still there, though thankfully a blanket now covered each of them. The two guards were working slowly with mops and buckets, trying to clean up the blood as best they could. They would be at it for a while. One of them, the Black Panther, looked at me with narrowed eyes for a moment before returning to his task. You're lucky those guys just knocked you out. You think so? I asked bitterly. Had I died, at least I wouldn't have to remember what happened. I knew, when all the shock wore off, that I would no doubt have nightmares about this night for years to come. In his kindness, that Rondoki had dealt me the ultimate cruelty. I used to hear about the atrocities committed by the Midnight Fang Clan from my family, and used to read about it in our history books. If ever I thought those were just stories, this night proved beyond doubt that the stories were real. I reached up to where the Rondoki had wiped his knife on my fur. I couldn't feel anything there, and had assumed someone had cleaned it off. Its absence gave me a much-needed reprieve from all this. Had it still been there, the memories of what happened would have come flooding back all at once. I knew they would come at some point, but at least for now I was safe. Cyrus helped me to my feet at my insistence, and I noticed several people had left. A lot of folks don't feel safe anymore. Cyrus said, answering my unasked question. They'll come back soon, though. A lot of them ain't got nothing else. H how often? I asked. You mean how often we get visitors like that? I nodded. Not that often. They know this place is here. The, the clans, I mean. But they usually just leave us alone. He shook his head. Never did anything like this, either. Normally they'd cut them loose in Junktown and just let them fend for themselves. Can't understand it. Shakily, I walked toward the covered bodies. There were spots on the sheets where the blood had soaked through, a grisly warning of what lay beneath. 
I kept my distance so as not to disturb those who were cleaning the floor, but my eyes never left the scene. My mind started working, thinking about the events that led up to this. I imagined the Chatelia approaching the Temeki mansion and tying the kittens together. I could almost hear their pleas for forgiveness from their parents, who undoubtedly stood there and watched, stone-faced, as the honor guard took them away. A way to die like this. The tears fell hot from my eyes and spattered on the floor. They knew. They knew what would happen and they didn't care. They'd condemned their own flesh and blood to this slaughter, and they didn't care. Despair slowly gave way to anger as I continued to gaze. You think you're better than us? The words of that female cougar echoed in my mind. Of all the people here, even those who were better armed than the Chatelia, I was the only one who did anything. Sure, it amounted to nothing more than a punch to the muzzle, but at least it was something. You think you're better than us? One shot. That's all it would have taken. One blast from a shotgun, one wounded Chatelia, and they would have scattered. Those kittens would be safe now if those guards had just done their job and guarded this place. What stopped them? Why didn't they act? Were they as religiously bound as the rest of the exiles here? You think you're better than us? What about the people? Over 300 souls here, all of them hated by the clans. Where was their hate? Why did no one make a move against them? The exiles had the numbers, and against such a force, even the Chatelia were no match. Is this what it meant to be an exile? To cower before any display of clan authority? Was I supposed to just offer my neck if asked by a clansman? You think you're better than us? In that moment, I reached a decision. Yes. Yes, I was better than them. All of them. I knelt before the three bodies. I could hear the voices as I started tucking the sheets in underneath them. Within minutes, I had wrapped them all in their individual shrouds so they would remain concealed if I moved them. I was glad that my body was working more on automatic than my own brain power at that moment. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. More than likely, I would have stood back and done nothing. There's nothing more you can do, kid, said Cyrus, coming up beside me. I turned and growled lowly in response. He was wrong. There was something I could do. It wasn't much, and to a non-believer it would seem folly. But at that moment I was determined to do it. It was all I could think of doing. I stood, stooped again, and picked the bodies up. They were small enough that with my newfound strength they weren't that much of a burden. I began carrying them towards the door, ignoring the voices and stares of the others. I made it to the door, and that female cougar, who'd seemed determined to push every one of my buttons, stood in my way. What are you doing? she asked. I merely looked at her, and despite my first thoughts of shoving her aside, I took a breath and answered. I'm going to bury them. That's a sin! someone in the crowd called out. What's burying them going to solve, kid? Cyrus asked. They at least deserve that much, I said. 
I was quickly losing patience with these people. They're exiles, I heard someone say. And under the edict of, they were kittens, I retorted. Innocent, well-meaning kittens, and the Shatlia murdered them. They slaughtered children, and you all just stood there. You could have heard a pin drop in that place. You could barely hear them breathing after my outburst. My mind was fevered with rage at that point, and for an instant I suddenly saw these people the way the clans saw them. Pathetic. Useless. And far too wrapped up in their own sob stories to ever lift a finger to help someone else. Their complacency had cost three innocents their lives this night, and I hoped they would remember it for an eternity. Curse you all, I muttered. I pushed past the cougar, Cyrus, and anyone else who tried to stop me. I kicked open the doors to the warehouse and stormed off into the night. The moon and stars provided the light I needed to make my way back to my dwelling. Mercifully, anyone in Junktown wanting some payback for what happened to them earlier were still licking their wounds. No one approached me on that long walk back. The silence of the night was haunting. All I could hear was the ringing in my ears, my footfalls on the changing terrain, and the sounds I remembered from the day. It's true what they said about burying exiles being a sin. To the clans, exiles are unclean. To bury them would mean contaminating the ground. To cremate them would pollute the air. To bury them at sea would anger the oceans and cause floods and tidal waves. There was no proper way to dispose of an exile's body, save to leave it where it lay and let nature take its course. I'm fairly sure no one follows that rule, though. Otherwise, news of found bodies would be all over the networks. It sounded righteous in religious texts, but I was sure the non-clan government gathered any exiled corpses and cremated them, urban beautification and all. The single largest sin one can perform with an exile's body is to either bury it or scatter its ashes on clan lands. Had I been older, and a bit wiser, I would have risked doing such a thing. But at the time, all I could think about was giving these kittens some form of dignity. They at least deserve that. Someday, when all this was over, I'd confront the Temeki family and explain to them fully what happened to their kin. Assuming, of course, that I ever regained my honor and could walk in clan circles once more. When I finally reached my dwelling, I placed the bodies down near the edge of the clearing bordering the forest. I retrieved the spade and a couple of food caplets from the house, and on the way back to the bodies I also grabbed an armload of wood, intent on building a fire by which to work. Within minutes I had a good fire blazing, and I broke ground on the grave. It didn't take long before my arms began to protest and burn with the pain of overuse, but like before I ignored it. I'd failed these kittens once before, and I'd be damned if I were going to fail them again. If finishing this meant I was to die of exhaustion afterward, then so be it. When I finally hoisted myself out of the grave, my arms were trembling. In the firelight, the pit seemed that much more ominous and darker as though anything placed there would vanish, transported to a faraway land. If only that were true. I pulled the bodies closer to the grave before moving back in. One by one, I pulled them down, setting them gently on the ground. 
With each one, I removed their shroud and closed their eyes. I then folded their hands across their chests. Unconsciously, I ran my hand over their heads and even stroked behind their ears a little. Part of me thought I could somehow bring them back if they knew someone here still cared for them, but it didn't. Nothing could ever bring them back into this world that had so brutally forsaken them. When I was ready, I took one of the sheets and covered them all with it. After that, I touched their heads one last time before hoisting myself out of the grave and grabbing the spade. Each shovelful of dirt did nothing to alleviate the guilt I was feeling. Despite what I was going through, it didn't seem enough. My soul screamed for justice to this. I wanted to march on the Rondoki estate, find that Shatlia, and tear his heart out for this. But I couldn't. The knowledge that all I could do now was bury them only added to my frustration. I felt completely helpless and confused. My entire world felt as though it had turned upside down, and everything I once thought to be good and just in this life was anything but. My clan heritage seemed no longer a blessing to me now, but a curse that, as an exile, I was now rid of. Once I finally finished, I smoothed out the dirt the best I could before driving the shovel into the ground at the grave's head. It would serve as a marker until I found something more proper. I knew that in the days and weeks to come, I would visit this grave. I would kneel before it and remind myself of my failure. They never understood what had happened to them, nor did they deserve it. My anger at the clans began to rise once more. No Shatlia were known to patrol the estates. They never come unless summoned, which meant the parents of these three knew exactly what was going to happen to them, and they let it. My mind filled itself with the images of the three of them, crying and begging to come home, only for the Shatlia to come and drag them away, screaming. They knew. God damn them, they knew this was going to happen. They sanctioned the murder of their own kin. How? Why? I craned my neck skyward and roared at the heavens. I cursed any god or patron who was listening with every breath until I couldn't breathe in without coughing. Even then, I continued to curse, albeit in whispers and other pathetic sounds. To think that just that morning, I'd been ready to do whatever it took to get back into the clan's good graces. How could I ever want to return to them now, knowing they were capable of such senseless evil? It was hard to think of the good times I'd shared with my family as I knelt before that grave, the emptiness inside me growing. It was impossible to remember the smiles and laughs of everyone. Learning this horrible truth about the clans cast a pall over any fond memories I had of home. How could I even think of returning to them, knowing that by doing so, I'd be among those who'd allow this kind of slaughter? I couldn't think of it anymore. I made a promise to myself that if the Kalpak ever found its way back to me, I would shatter it and send the pieces to my former father. Call it my final statement of what I thought of the clans and their so-called heritage. If the clans saw fit to turn their backs on me, then I could just as easily do the same. I didn't need them. I didn't need anybody. But someone, I soon learned, needed me. Thank you.
And that's our story. Anyone who's listened to the original Outcast will see right away that I made several changes here. Most notably, the execution of the kittens was something Dallin actually witnessed instead of imagining it in his head after. In the intervening years between when I first started this book and now, movies and TVs have definitely amped up the shock content they now show. I need only mention Game of Thrones, and you can understand what I mean. There were things done on that show that made me absolutely hate some of the characters, which is not something I normally feel for a TV show. Yet some scenes there left me feeling more than a bit uncomfortable. That's what I was going for in this rewrite. I had a long talk about this chapter with my beta reader after she finished it. The goal was to make people feel the way Dallin does in that moment helpless and betrayed by the very institution of which he used to be a member. Perhaps this was a little too grisly for some, and I understand. I do hope that you'll stick with me, though, and see where this journey goes moving forward. So I think I'm going to leave it there for now. Thank you once again for listening. If you're not already subscribed to the show, please feel free to do so at feeds.feedburner.com slash kickinthecast. If you'd like to leave any feedback, my email address is outcastnovel at gmail.com, and you can also use the SpeakPipe feature at the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time. <laughs>